Welcome to Essential Coaching Conversations with Kyle and Asim. The real, relevant, necessary conversations to help you navigate coaching, teaching, learning, and life. Coaches, welcome to episode 48 of Essential Coaching Conversations with Kyle and Asim. Uh, and this one, you know, I'm sticking with my theme of the Washington Commanders. Now that the team has effectively been sold or it is going to be sold, I feel like I can talk about my fandom a little bit more each day. Um, and I can start to sort of, you know, we talked about deconstructing a while back. I can sort of, de you know, get back into being a fan. Um, it doesn't mean the team's going to be any good, but at least I can own them now that Dan Snyder is not the one who owns them. Um, and so my, my number 48 today is Stephen Davis. Uh, back in the day, I, I know you remember Stephen Davis, um, ran, ran, ran roughshod over the NFC East for a few years back there in the, uh, the late nineties, early two thousands. Uh, I actually had his Jersey. He was one of the first jerseys I ever bought from like Kmart back in the day. And, um, just a, a really, really solid running back for the, for the Washington commanders back in the day. And so. That is my number 48. Um, honorable mention would be Chris Horton, who had a cup of coffee in the NFL. I was actually working at the Washington Commanders Ben Redskins team store. Um, and he had like an incredible game on Monday Night Football as a rookie. And all of a sudden we got a shipment of like hundreds of his jerseys because we knew people were going to want them. And they sold pretty well, actually. And then he just sort of like fizzled out after that. So the honorable mention there, two of the uh, the the you know, the 48s back in the day, but throwing it to you, who is your number 48? Well, I can tell you it's not since I'm not allowed to talk about the Cowboys for a while. It's not going to be Daryl Moose Johnson. I'm not going to talk about the fact that he won three Super Bowls. I'm not going to talk about the fact that the Pro Bowl created a fullback position for the guy because he was so dang good. I'm not going to talk about the fact, stat of the day, that he had more receptions than carries in the NFL. So I'm not going to talk about the fact that he blocked for the greatest Dallas Cowboy running back, Emmitt Smith, of all time. Not going to talk about Moose Johnson. So since I've been barred from doing so, and another little shout out to the fullbacks out there. So I'm going to go with um, another clever, probably one of the more clever sport nicknames out there, and that's Joaquin Soria, who pitched for the Royals. Uh, and kind of bounced around the league. He was a closer, and after tearing, uh, had Tommy John surgery, my Rangers picked him up for a couple of years, and as a closer, he didn't throw real fast. I mean, he had like a kind of low, mid-90s fastball, but he threw a lot of stuff in like the, the low 80s, upper 70s, so it was kind of an interesting um, you know, arsenal for a closer um, who came into the league and broke out and was really good, but um, his, his nickname was the Mexicutioner. Um, which is one of like the most clever nicknames I've ever heard of. It's a really um, good nickname. Yeah. And fun fact, once he found out about it and kind of what it meant, he told everybody to stop calling him that. So I apologize to Joaquin here, but um, since we were kind of coming off a of last episode with AK 47 and uh, just kind of clever nicknames, um, he popped in my head um, going through 48. So it's the Joaquin Soria episode. It's not the Daryl Moose Johnston episode. It's not another Dallas Cowboy episode. Yeah, it's amazing how you just didn't talk about 
Didn't Moose Johnston it. at all. I mean, that didn't was like, it. Uh, it was almost as if he didn't, he never existed. Um, at least in the lore of essential coaching conversations, right? And, uh, you know, before we get started with today's episode, and today's episode is going to be chock full of, of a lot of things. And maybe, you know, I, I'm floating this, it doesn't have to happen. But if we run short on time, maybe we make a part two to this one, because it is foundational to everything that we believe. Um, we'll see how it goes. But Kyle, you pointed something interesting to me, pointed out something interesting to me in the uh, pre-show where we just had our third best week on the pod since we've been doing it. We're coming up on a year of doing it. And so, you know, again, shout out to our loyal listeners, to the people who take time out of their day to listen to our new listeners. I believe Kyle, actually there needs to be a shout out to, uh, what was it, Handel's in uh, over there in Ruston or in Shreveport in Bozier? Hamels. 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 Yeah. So there you go. Got got that Hamels. shout out too. Hamels Theme Park. Uh, Hamels Theme Park and Crystal Palace and all of these different places. Yeah. Um, you know, shout out to our some of our new listeners up here in the uh, in the Worcester Academy community and, and around the world. Um, we're we're hitting countries every day that we never thought we would hit. And um, even, you know, here domestically, just really, really pleased with how well the pod is doing and also how much more we have to grow. Like, I think when we think of ourselves as podcasters, we're still like two guys that just have conversations and we're not doing the numbers that like Chris is doing or that the, the guys at Slapping Glass or any of these like, more, you know, well-known or whatever podcasts are doing, but what we are doing is consistent numbers. And so I think when we think about the consistency of positive habits, the consistency of results that we're getting, like I feel good about the character of our podcast. Um, and I think a lot of that is due in large part to how much care that we try to put into each one, but that also, you know, we have a really loyal base of people who for better or for worse, when that notification hits at midnight going into Thursday, they're raring and ready to go. Um, and we still get messages from people all over the country, all over the world about the impact that these episodes are making. So, so long as that continues, we are going to keep going with it. Um, and, and we really just appreciate, again, those who continually listen, who have made us a part of their routine every week. And those who, you know, who are new listeners, who are just stumbling upon it for the first time, or it was recommended to them by somebody. Um, I know that there's some coaches out there who like recommend our stuff to their staffs in, in, in the learning process. So please keep that going. And, and, and again, if there's anything you need, all of our information is in the show notes. And we are always here and ready to help you in any way we can, uh, as we are those holistic development allies uh, for coaches. Absolutely. Well said. Um, and just kind of echo that real quick. We appreciate everybody and, uh, it's cool to see it, you know, continue to kind of steadily grow, but it's, it's awesome to see the nice floor there, um, uh, from everybody. And, um, so we, we certainly appreciate that. And if you're catching this episode, uh, 48, not the Daryl Moose Johnson episode, um, we would recommend going back one and catching episode 47, which was the decluttering season intro and what we're planning for the month of July, the summer months, is is to go through and start taking taking stock of what we have and taking stock of maybe what we don't need anymore and how we can sort of replace those things. And so we did an intro into decluttering season, which is a throwback to some 
Monday night EC Rocket Chats that we did about two years ago on varying things throughout coaching. Um, and so we're going we're gonna to sort of work our way up through the essential coaching pyramid pathway. So this episode here is all about the human component, our most foundational thing. And you're right, maybe, maybe this does turn into two. We'll see how it goes. But um, you know, for me, when we talk about decluttering, what we're really trying to do is, or what we're really trying to say, I think, is creating an efficiency within our systems. And we're trying to fight that entropy in those systems daily. And I think one of the worst things that we can do in our programs, our our, our departments, our lives, our families is to leave things to chance, use hope as a strategy and just kind of, you know, hope that things are going to get better without putting the active work in. And that, that again, I, I'm very big on this. You hear me talk about this all the time, but the randomness, the chaoticness of, of the universe, of the systems, of this disorder, the entropy of the day, it's something that we have to continually attack. And one way that we can do that is by recruiting everyone every day getting back to our foundational human component, the relationships, the recruiting, the hearts and minds. And again, when we say recruiting, we're not talking about player acquisition. We're talking about bringing people into the fold uh, every single day. And I think when, when you talk about, or before we get to talking about an efficient system, we first have to have a plan. We first, we, we, or we then have to rock that plan continually and go through the RACA process and, and understand that just because we have a plan doesn't mean that that plan is necessarily complete, fully set in stone. It's in concrete. We're constantly going to evaluate that. And I, I wouldn't imagine massive foundational shifts away from that plan because, you know, you have your, your main vision or mission and, and largely, you know, you want to, you, you are who you are, but how we go about that might be tweaked along the way. Some things were better ideas than others, and we need to pivot here. We need to pivot there. Um, you know, there, there, there's constant adaptation and, and evolution, which I think is great because I think that means that we're growing and that that means that we're learning. We talked a few episodes ago in, in competition about how we want our past selves to be unrecognizable. And in order to get to that point, I think we have to sift through the noise, create a more efficient system, and, and kind of get continue to stick to who we you know, who we say we're going to be. Um, and so one of the things that I, I love to, to think about from my grad school background in IO psych and, 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 you know, going through that Six Sigma process, the consulting process is the reduction of complexity and variability. There's always going to be outliers to certain things. Always. We're always going to be probably a little bit better than we should have been one day. We're always going to be a little bit worse than we probably should have been one day. And then everything else sort of falls in the middle of that bell curve. The key here is not to stretch those outliers quite so far. We want to find this great mode of consistency in the middle. And again, it, it doesn't mean that it's always going to be the case and we won't skew one way or the other. But I think the way you build that consistency by building the, the next best decision and the positive habits, the character of the day is you do have to go back and declutter and create you know, more efficient systems. And, and, and within that, I think we hit those priorities that we talk about all the time. We're prioritizing speed. We're prioritizing connections. And then ultimately, we're prioritizing the health of the system. And to steal a phrase from our buddy, Brian, we're making our systems anti-fragile. We're making our recruiting anti-fragile. We're making the 
the, the complexity and the variability, we're making the outliers anti-fragile. So when we do recognize, hey, maybe we were a little bit better than we were supposed to be today, we're not relying on that tomorrow and use, using that hope. And then when we do have a day that's, that's a little bit on the, the low end for us, we don't panic because we know we're going to sort of come back to the middle. And I think the idea is that the, as long as that middle continues to trend upward, we're going to be okay. In that last piece about trending upward, I think when we talk about like, when we talk to our student athletes, for example, about their grades, and maybe they didn't have a great freshman year, but what do colleges look for when they're gaining admission? Trending upwards, right? All of that still applies, even in your job performance or in your in your family life. Like, nobody's going to have a perfect day at doing any of these things. But as long as we can continue trending upwards and we do prioritize the things that we say we want to, I think we're going to be in really good shape. And, and the health piece too, I don't think there's many coaches. And I know like for myself, I was not, I think early in my career, I was not good at assessing the health of the other priorities. So like the health of our engagement, the health of our connection. Like I thought it was there and there were things that were evident and there were things that maybe were underlying that I didn't see. And so for me, like the decluttering piece is also just removing some of the barriers to knowing what our health in all of those areas looks like and being able to, even if we can't quantify what those are, we can still somehow qualitatively measure the things that matter in our program as it pertains to the human component. And, you know, not to belabor what the human component is, but I think it's worth us mentioning too, that I think the, the, the human component idea gets, sometimes it's a, like a, it's not a bad rap, but it's seen as like soft. Like, mm -hmm. oh, you're just about holding hands and singing Kumbaya and like, I coach my kids hard. That is the human commitment. Like, sure, if that's the way you build relationships, fine. Right? If there's trust in your program, great. All we are concerned about is the health of our human component wheel in this episode and how we declutter to ensure that we can move through that at a pace and move through it with speed so that we can have connections and engagement as much as possible. Is every person in your program going to be engaged in the same way and be as connected as the next person? No, that's impossible, right? That, that is like a fool's errand to try to think we could get everybody at that place. But if we can get them close, and then we have a standard by which we talk about these things, we have a standard by which we go through and we rock of these things, that's what we're talking about in this episode. Right. How do you do that effectively? What are the things that we have experienced when we've tried to do that? Um, you know, I think there's going to be a little bit of talk here about automation and how we can put some of those things on autopilot without actually being on autopilot. And I know autopilot was a phrase that you had used in our texts earlier about this episode. Like some of that is, yeah, I wish I could put this on autopilot and just coast. But then what are we inviting? We're inviting entropy. Right When we are no longer decluttering this and trying to make it better and better and better, we invite entropy in. So that decluttering process, that rocket process, all of that leads to this idea that we want to control for that entropy and make sure that we are reducing anything that could get in our way 
of doing this the best way possible, knowing full well we are probably going to fail a lot. But that's part of the decluttering process is knowing where that failure also came from. And I think we talked about this in like the experimentation and, and um, standard hacking episode where it was like, if we have 19 variables, we don't know what went wrong. But if we can declutter that and just have one or two, now we can find the root of that issue. And we can start to put down some of the like, you know, to, to shout out our lawn care buddies, Adrian and, uh, and Bubba, put down some of that pre-emergent so that when we weed and water every day, Eventually, that becomes a really healthy, happy lawn in our program. Yeah, and I, th- I think the important thing here is like, yes, it's humming along in the background, but it's not an autopilot. Establishing a system is not success. Continuing that system is success. So it's, it's, it's yes, certain things will become a little more autonomous, but it doesn't mean that this thing is like set it and forget it. And then once it's in, it, we're, we're done. And I think that's sometimes like, oh, you hear coaches say like, oh, well, we talked about that. Oh, we practiced that. Oh, we had a meeting on that on the first day of the season and we haven't addressed it since. And then we wonder we're like where all of these problems are constantly sort of rearing their heads again. And, we, and we're confused, like we're confounded, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I told that kid one time not to do that. Why would they continue to do this? You know, I told that parent one time this and they, they continue to do these things. And not and only did I... Be- Sorry, go ahead. My fault. No, I just say it, it because we're not continually watering, you know, watering and weeding the yard every day. We're not maintaining that. The entropy is going to come. It is a law. Like it, it, it's going to happen. Is fact, and it may not bite you today. It may not even bite you tomorrow, and it may not bite you for until the end of the season or even going into the next season. But eventually, again, another favorite phrase of mine: unfinished business always, always, always comes out. And so, yes, it's great if you are establishing these things, but it's the continual process and the adaptation, the evolution and continuing to do that because it's not this transactional thing of setting up a system. It's the transformation of the system continuing to breathe and grow. And it's not just the system as if it's like this machine. The system is human-based too. So it's, it's recruiting everybody else in to continue that system to contribute towards that system. And then they then maybe take some of that process off of you. So for if you're the leader, the head coach, the department head, the AD, the, the administrator, some of that autonomy for you or autopilot nature for you is passing some of that work off to other people. But it doesn't mean that it's not being paid attention to. You're recruiting new people in to continue that system, to continually water and weed with you. And I think that's another part of the, if we're if we're gonna um, sort of measure the success here, sort of qualitatively or anecdotally or however, it's I'm bringing in more people that are actively contributing to the solution. They're actively contributing to the growth and the life of you know whatever these you know these systems are. And then I, the I have to essentially those first followers. I got to set a hook in them and recruit them with that first connection and then immediately have to pounce on the next connection to deepen that and get them sold as best I possibly can. And where that system continues to evolve and thrive is those people now become my best recruiters. Mm. And some of that pressure is then taken off of me 
And then I'm able to go out and continually to, to strengthen and deepen those connection with those first people and start to pour in some energy for those other people as well. So you, you literally like, we could end it right here. Cause you've hit all the points I have written on my sheet. <laughs> my bad. Um, no, no, it's fine. Because I think that's where the alignment comes from. Right. I think the, the idea that they need to do the heavy lifting is part of you decluttering your level of responsibility, but you're not abdicating your responsibility. And so what I mean by them doing the heavy lifting, so I'll give you a, a very simple recruiting example. It's very easy for coaches to get caught up in, man, I got to go out on the road. I got to make all these phone calls, blah, 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 blah. Why are we not doing the same thing for our current kids and teaching them to be the ones that do that for you? Obviously, they're not going to go to an event for you and evaluate and all of that stuff. But it stands to reason that if people are bought in and they have taken ownership of their their experience, and that's another thing we need to talk about. I think we are going to have to do a part two of this for <laughs> sure. But the you know the idea of like good, better, best, you know, buying in versus versus investment versus ownership, being able to send kids like a two minute highlight reel and saying, "Hey, do you want to play with this kid? Hey, what do you see in this?" based on how we play, right? So now we're also embedding the tech tack piece. We're also embedding the practice piece. We're also embedding the leadership and character piece and the program development part. We're all doing this at, at the same time, right? And so we are collapsing those timeframes. But what we're doing is saying, hey, I'm going to send this to you. You know to expect this because this is a system that we have within our program. And now you have a level of familiarity of like, hey, this is what my coach is looking at in recruiting. Maybe this kid is going to come and replace me one day. But if I am taking ownership of my experience, I'm not going to say, no, I don't want you to recruit that kid because they're going to come replace me. We have done a good job recruiting those kids to the point where they're like, yeah, she's going to come make our gym better. I can see that she's really good at this, 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 and this. and. That's us taking that and saying, hey, now you have an influence on the program and influence is what, Kyle? Leadership. Leadership. Right. And I just had a conversation with a coworker the other day who said leadership was something that was innate and it couldn't be taught. And I gave him a two minute mini pod on why <laughs> leadership is influence. And so by the end of it, he was like, man, that's a really good point. I'd never even thought about it like that because most of us see that as Oh, we're like leadership is a position. Leadership is, yep. you know, by example or some stupid shit like that. That's not what that is. Right. Leadership being influence. All right. Well, now we're giving you an opportunity to influence the program. And so we actually have a resource for this that I can't believe neither of us mentioned this thing in, in our pre talks or any of that, but our 50 um, 50 chart mm. of like, what do we delegate to the kids and how much of a percentage of say are we going to give to our team, to our assistants, to all of those things? Part of that is creating systems by which then you can automate decisions that happen in your program, thereby decluttering and getting rid of the gray area, right? Decluttering isn't just tangible things. Like I have a, I have a can right here. If I wanted to go throw this away, yes, I've decluttered my desk. That's one tangible thing that I can get rid of, but it still doesn't matter when there are all kinds of other stuff on my desk. 
right? What we are doing is we're decluttering the gray area so that when we look out into our program, we see that our relationships, that our engagement, that our connections, that the health of our program is easily visible. Not do we have to sort through all of these 95 different things just to be able to see the path we need to be able to walk. And I think that is the really hard part where coaches and, and teachers, department chairs, administrators, they're really reluctant to give some of those things up because there is an initial investment of time in teaching somebody how to do that, right? I couldn't just send that stuff to a, a team that I just took over, which literally like took over a team six weeks ago. I couldn't just do that and be like, hey, what do you think about this? Because it's, if it's a highlight, we're like, oh yeah, the kid can really score, right? Okay, but what else does she do? Do you watch it the way that I watch it? And so now that offers another opportunity for us to have to create a connection to say, hey, let me engage you in how we want to play. And by teaching you through this film or this kid's highlight or this recruit this or whatever, now you're starting to see it the way I see it. And I've effectively recruiting your heart and your mind to the tippity top of the pyramid right? Because as we know, our friend Chris Oliver says, like, that's the stuff that sells. Mm -hmm. right? That's the stuff that gets clicks. And then people will go to the other stuff. Same thing in your program. The easiest way to recruit your athletes is through the sport. And then you can start talking about all the other stuff. And so I think what, what it becomes then is like, we do a little bit of that heavy lifting first. And then just like with leadership, and we can use the, the um, plates on the bar analogy. Right. We start to transfer some of that weight to them to say, hey, now go recruit somebody else. We recruit everyone every day here. Find somebody to recruit today, not to bring into our program, but now recruit your teammate to the highest ideal of what we want to mm -hmm. be about. And so the last thing I'll say to that, and then I'll, I'll throw it back to you. When you were talking about like the intentionality that it takes to do this, and we've only ever done it once at the beginning of the season, I told them once and they should know. I would argue that decluttering in the human component actually means taking more time away from things that are not that to give actual reps so that we don't have to go back a thousand times and do it over again. And have that frustration that clutters our mind because we didn't spend the requisite amount of time in the first part of our season or our time together of setting those expectations and getting meaningful reps that are then followed by very clear accountability. And again, accountability being a neutral term, accountability is celebration and accountability is holding somebody to account for something they did not do, right? So there's a consequence or whatever it is. Having those very clearly delineated things early and often allows you to move on. Instead of always feeling this clutter of, man, this is getting in the way, like our kids don't like each other, they are, you know, we're not having positive touches, our, our bench is dead, like whatever, right? Things that we feel like is getting in the way that then really transpire on the court, right? Coach, like you can think about this question as I throw it to Kyle. He's not going to answer the question. You're going to answer the question out loud. When you are coaching defense in any sport, even if it's doubles tennis, What's the one thing that leads to the breakdown? 
The one thing that leads to the breakdown is fill in the blank. It's a lack of, right? We're not going to fill in the blank for you, but you know exactly what you said. How often are you practicing that? Because that right there, when you're constantly begging your team to do that one thing that we all beg our teams to do, and you already know what the answer is, I'm not going to give it to you. That is clutter in our program. It is preventing us from seeing the path forward because we're not taking care of the things that are foundational. And we did not spend enough time learning how to do it. So when we talk about decluttering, we need to declutter that too, right? The gray area, the things that hold us back so that we can really have the clarity of thought and know which variables really screwing us up. Yeah, I'm going to go back to, to two things you said earlier. Um, or I actually showed, if you're watching the video here, you picked up the can. And so I'm going to go to a, a thing my wife says all the time uh, at the house. And I don't know where she got this from, somebody on YouTube, I'm sure. Um, that she follows on Instagram or something, but it's, uh, when, when you're talking about trying to keep the house clean and not let the entropy catch up with you, she says all the time, um, don't put it down, put it away. Don't put it down, put it away. So I've, you've got that can right there. Don't put the can down, put it away, throw it away. I have this coffee mug that I'm drinking out of when we finish this episode and I finish my coffee, don't put it down and leave it on the desk. For the next three or four days, put it away, go clean it, go wash it, dry it and, and put it where it needs to think about the laundry, the stuff that constantly piles up on that, you know, the desk next to your bed, that's really, or the elliptical or the Peloton bike or the whatever, that's really just a laundry hamper now, you know, that if, if you're not really putting it away, we're not finishing the task. And so that to me comes back to discipline. It's a simple thing. It doesn't take much, you know, like folding laundry, right? Like nobody restarts a dryer for 10 minutes more in this country than I do, because I just want to put off taking the clothes, the worst part of laundry. It's taking it out, folding it, putting it away. But that's a great example of putting it down and not putting it away. We're not finishing the task. I don't have great character when it comes to finishing the laundry. Finish the task at hand. Have enough discipline to go to the damn dryer get the clothes out, fold it, put it away. It takes four minutes and it's not that big a deal, right? And then you're really glad that that's over. And now you don't even have to worry about it because constantly in the back of your mind, you go, oh, crap, I still have those clothes in the dryer. God, I forgot. And then you leave, you come back and you're like, oh, I forgot. Let me fluff them again. And by that point, your slacks are wrinkled. And now you got to rewash it. So it, it costs you so much more time in the end than if we were to just stop what we were doing, put it away and not just put it down. And that discipline area takes me back to something you mentioned a, a few minutes, however long it was ago, about like coaching you hard here. And I think if we can tweak our, our fundamental brain around, we're not, we don't coach you hard here, but we do hard coaching. Whereas I'm going to coach you hard is basically just an excuse to treat you like a piece of crap. I get to be an asshole. I have a license to be an asshole because I coach you hard. As opposed to, we do hard coaching here, which means you're putting in all the prerequisite work to create the systems, to have the meeting, to put it away and not put it down, to create the standards, to do all the legwork, 
to create a little bit more of that autonomous system, to recruit people in, to do some of that work, not just for you, but with you, to shoulder some of that responsibility, shoulder some of that workload, transfer some of that weight, having a system in place, a style of play, all of these things. To me, that is coaching hard. That is hard coaching. It is very difficult to put all of that time in and stay disciplined to the task and not get distracted by all the, you know, silvery bells and whistles of what this offense might be or what this drill is going to do for us or, you know, all of that tech tech top of the pyramid stuff that we'll get to a few episodes from now, which is important, right? It is important. It's on the pyramid. We need to talk about it. We need to master those things. We need to dominate that stuff, but we can't dominate that stuff if we're not first dominating these fundamental foundational things. And the next time you hear somebody talk about, oh, we coach you hard here, ask them, what does hard coaching mean to them? Because I guarantee you coach hard means I get to yell at you and tell you, um, what, do, what's, what do we always say? I'm going to be brutally honest with you, right? Like I just basically get a chance to tell you what a POS you are. Brutality, like in, more, in Mortal Kombat. Yeah. Right. Like we, we announce it to the world that we're brutally honest with you. Right. But if I, but if I can, if I can do some hard coaching with you, I can take the time to create a relationship with you and enough connection and commitment and trust and respect to where then I don't even have to be brutally honest with you anymore. I just get to be honest with you. We don't have to go through that because we've done the legwork. And then we're not having to go back two days later and rewash our clothes because they got soured or wrinkled or whatever. We're done. And once once that load of laundry is put away, now we can start focusing on other things and maybe other more important things for the time being. So I think this leads to the next piece as we have about 10 more minutes um, in this episode. And our friend Dustin Mills had actually put out a, a tweet the other day that was very it sort of um, predicted some of these some of these conversations, I think. And obviously, like Dustin has no idea that this was what we were going to do and all that. But he had said something about, you know, having reasons why kids do and don't play and like systems by which to understand that makes you a better coach and it makes life a lot easier. And I replied to him and I said something to the effect of like, I became a really, really a much better coach and my team actually played a lot better once we had very clear reasons why besides like, you know, either poor performance or fatigue or just needing to get somebody else in right game situation. Why you would get subbed out. And I think as we think about decluttering the human component in our program and making it very clear what we're about and how we do what we do, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about practical things that can be done from the standpoint of recruiting, from the standpoint of program organization, from the communication within your program, how you communicate with people. And obviously, this is not going to be an exhaustive piece in in 10 minutes of talking about this. Um, and if we do a part two, we do a part two, like that is what it is. We have unlimited Zoom to do it. So why not? Right. Um, but I think, you know, for me, 
and I alluded to this in the last episode, and I really want to kind of hammer this home because I think there's a lot of like, I think there's a lot of archaic things that stress kids out, but also we need to be able to teach kids how to effectively utilize technology. And this is going to be, that's a wild statement, right, Kyle? Like, what? All the kids know how to use technology. You'd be Mm -hmm. surprised at how many kids don't know how to use Google Calendar. You'd be surprised at how many kids don't know that Gmail means, like Gmail has a scheduling option now where you can schedule emails to go out at a particular time. You'd be surprised at how many kids don't understand how to organize their time and when they can block off time in the calendar to say no to people, right? So I think when we think about the recruiting aspect, and this is free advice for for coaches, this is also free advice for student athletes. Using Calendly was the best thing I ever did as a recruiter. Right, because it allowed me to protect my time, number one. And number two, it allowed all of the stress and all of the clutter of planning a call to go away. It just went away. It was, hey, Kyle, let's get on the phone or on Zoom or on FaceTime. Your choice. Here's the link. Figure out a time that works for you. And the conversion rate on that versus nine, you know, insert SpongeBob graphic here, like nine hours later, right? Nine hours later, we finally have a time and we could have just been talking this entire time because we were both glued to our phones trying to figure it out. Some may say, oh, I'm connecting with them during that time. No, you're not. You're frustrating them. Send them a link, get a schedule, right? Same thing for recruits. If a coach just reaches out to you and says, hey, what's a good time to talk to you? Set up a Calendly and send them the link. Gosh, how unique would that be for you as a recruit? Mm. Hey, I'm trying to protect my time. Here's when I'm available. Don't just pick up the phone and call me. Like, let's set up a time to talk so I am organized, but I've made an intentional decision on how I'm going to engage with you. Right? So that leads me to the next thing. Within your program, it's very easy for most coaches to put together a practice plan. Would you agree with that, Kyle? Like, it's pretty easy to put together a practice plan. Absolutely. Go on, go on Google, Google practice plan, find a template. And that's one of the things we see circulating every spring and summer is what practice template do you use? And then just mm-hmm. plug and play. It's right. not hard. They, and there's, there's, you know, we saw one from, from, you know, somebody who I, you know, they blocked me, so I don't see anything they do, but there's had like, you know, pie charts and all kinds of stuff of like how much time you spent on particular skills and this and that, like, cool, go for it. That's clutter. Declutter that to then allow more time for the stat, like the stats and stuff that really matter, which is, did you make authentic connections today? How many? What was the depth? What was the quality of that? Right. So I think when we're talking about decluttering, it's almost maybe counterintuitive of like, hey, we got to declutter all that other stuff to make room for how important this stuff is. And maybe that's where coaches get it backwards. I know that's where I got it backwards for a long time. Every coaching book I ever read, like the underlying message was human component, human component, human component. But what do we take from it? It was, you know, recruit the best players put in the best sets, blah, 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 blah. Here's all my practice drills, whatever, whatever. 
But if you're really being intentional about it and you declutter like the randomness at which you're connecting with people, the randomness at which you're approaching particular topics, the randomness at which you are approaching hard conversations, and you actually just embed those things as systems within your program, mm. you're going to find that like you may feel like you have less time, but you're going to feel more fulfilled. And, you know, to, to Kip's point, Kip had reached out and said, hey, maybe a cool segment about, you know, coaches that have put some of this stuff into play in their own programs. And I didn't ask his permission to share this, but I'm going to share it anyway. And if, you know, if we have to delete it, we have to delete it. I had a conversation with a, a friend of the pod, a friend of the family, uh, the, the women's tennis coach at a, a high level D3 institution who literally told me the other day on the phone that our podcast and doing all of these things led to his most successful year as a coach, even though they finished 33rd in the country. And that was the lowest finish they've had in his 12 years as a coach. Like, think about that for a second. They finished top 40 in the country. Were competitive to the top 10 at, a, at one point. And some would say like, oh my gosh, well, that was the lowest finish. How could he feel fulfilled? Because he spent more time on these systems and putting these things in place. And he felt like the team got better and them being young. And it was his first kind of class where he had recruited all the kids. They're bringing in a top 10 recruiting class next year because he was able to do all these things. This isn't just a basketball conversation. This isn't just a team sport conversation. This is individual sports too. This is all things. And so the the sort of the, the point of that conversation though was him telling me how the Managing Up podcast was one of his favorite ones and it gave him the most insight of any of the ones we've had. And managing, like learning how to manage up is decluttering the human component within your program. Right, so all of these things are related. So if we can create automated systems for how we communicate within our program, especially like scheduling and, and just information sharing, and we declutter our practice plans, we declutter all of this other stuff, it makes room for clarity within the human component. So we're not continually searching to try to make the next connection. We are making the next connection and then trying to fit everything else around it. Thank you.